Okay, so those guys are doing that. Um, appreciate man, I appreciate you guys leading us this morning in worship. Great job. We really appreciate y'all leading us. And appreciate too, boy. We just have so many very, very talented people here at the church. God really blesses us with that. So anyway, we are we are very grateful for you guys. Thank y'all for leading us this morning. All right, those guys are making the rounds here with some handouts. I hope I've done that. <coughs> Um, you know what, you couples, you might need to share our money. How about that? I probably didn't make a lot of notes. Anyway, as those guys are making the rounds here, I wanted to start a new series. Um, well, here, let me start like this. Um, I'll start kind of the way we did Sunday school this morning. How about that? You know, in the movie Lord of the Rings, um, there's Aragorn. Every, who, who's seen Lord of the Rings, the trilogy? Yes, okay. So I'll, I'll talk about the movie here in the rest of you guys. Uh, Lord of the Rings, remember Aragorn is there from the beginning, and in the end he becomes the king, yes, and he's the king in the and he's, he's basically the king of the throne all along, but in the beginning he's not known as the king, he's known as what? Strider. Yeah, yeah, there you go, some people think they look good, they're going to be Strider, he's a ranger, right, he's kind of goes around doing good things apparently. Uh, but in the end of the movie, he's turned king. Well, he doesn't act like king for most of the movie. It's not until the third movie that he becomes king because he's not acting like who he is. And he's basically reminded in the third movie that he is the rightful king, the heir to the kingdom. And then from that point on, he starts acting like a king. This is a pretty familiar theme in storytelling, right? Um, the Ugly Duckling is another example, right? The Ugly Duckling was born, thought he was a duck. Turns out he was a Swan, right? He made a terrible duck because he was a. He finds out at some point that his real, his true identity, like Aragorn's true identity, was king. His true identity, it's a swan. He starts acting like a swan. Turns out he makes a pretty good swan. Terrible duck, but a pretty good swan, right? Uh, Princess Diaries. Who's seen Young Ladies? Yeah, who has Young Ladies? Okay. You've seen the Princess Diaries? Okay, Paula, which of your boys watched the Princess Diary movie? I'm just curious. The boys, I'll make it. Shameless, that is good. I appreciate that, boys. That's good. I've seen the Princess Diary, and they're not afraid to say so. What is the, uh, is the girl not attractive? Is she, is she good looking? I don't remember. No? Okay. I don't know why they watched it, but anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in the Princess Diary, right? The girl is, is born, she's, she, her mom knows she's a princess, really, but she's not treated that way, she's not told that, and so she acts like an awkward teenager. It's not until later she realizes she's a princess, it's her true identity, and then in the end she's turned and, and taught to act like a princess in her true identity. Well, listen, identity has a lot to do with how we act and what we do. You know what I mean? Identity has a lot to do with who we are. And what I want to talk to you this morning is not just about the silly movies, but I want to talk to you about who we are in Christ. And I tell you what, if this is something we could get down, man, life would be okay. You know what I mean? It would be simple. But it, it's, it's a hard thing. Um, whatever you think in terms, or whatever the world thinks in terms about what a Christian is, what a believer is, it tends to think, and sometimes we do too, we tend to think about, well, there are people who, who act a certain way. There are people who manage their behavior. There are people who, who they, you know, they don't drink and they don't chew and they don't go with the girls that do, right? There are people who, who live by a moral code. But I want to tell you this morning that being a Christian has very little to do with how we act, right? Um, really, in truth, um, being a Christian is really who we are. It is an identity. That's who right. we are in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to come and to talk to you about this morning. Because 
Um, who we are in Christ is so much more than what we do. Sure. It, it right. is so much more, so much more than what we do, so much more than what we act, how we act. Um, in fact, who we are is, here's the, your first blank if you have one of the handouts. Um, who we are in Christ is our identity, our direction, and our destiny. And all that's good in Christ, right? All that is good, all that sums up in Jesus Christ. It's all going to be good, it all is good, it's all going to be really, really good. Um, and, uh, and we look forward to that, to that day where we can see face to face. But anyway, today we're going to be in First Peter. So if you're having your Bibles with you, please turn to First Peter chapter 2. It'll be in the book of First Peter. If you're in your uh, New Testament, just keep turning right. It's almost one of the last books of the Bible there. Um, it'll be in First Peter. He wrote two little letters. This is the first one. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. If you, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's some in the window seals, uh, but if you'd like to keep up, basically, I'm going to have my Bible behind me today. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verses 4 through 12. So, would you follow along with me as I read? As you come to him, the living stone, here Jesus is going, is going to be compared to a living stone, and we're going to be compared to a building or a temple. Uh, that's built around this living stone. He's also going to be compared to the cornerstone. A cornerstone is right is a is a building that uh, is a block or a uh, stone that they lay down that, that decides the orientation and uh, and and how the building will be built. Is the cornerstone is set is the most important stone in the structure, and that's what Jesus Christ is being compared to. And we, as the church, are being compared to uh, a uh, really a temple or a building being built. But anyway, as you come to him, the living stone. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Okay, very interesting verses here. Paul is saying what is up, what is what we put our hope in is what causes other people to stumble. That is basically the message of the gospel. It is Jesus who he says he is. Uh, is the gospel true? Can you attain salvation? Can you get forgiveness for your sin for, for the gospel? If that is true of you, then Jesus is precious to you. If you don't believe that, then it will be a stumbling block to you and actually they say a capstone, a keystone. But anyway, in verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among, among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Yeah. All right, good stuff from Peter this morning. All right. Um, as, we, as we study through this, the thing that I want to get to you, in Peter's epistle and all of Paul's epistle, they, they spend a lot of time in the beginning of the letter telling us who we are in Jesus Christ. Over and over again, he's telling us who we are. And then it's in the latter part of the epistles, he says, 
Now, then, here is how you live. Here's how you how you live like someone who's attained this in Jesus Christ. And and this is this part of of 1 Peter the same way. He says in verse 8, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And he ends this little passage by saying how we're supposed to live. But listen, let me say it, let me jump up down here and tell you this. Your identity in Christ and your understanding of your identity in Christ determines what you do in this life. Yeah. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, there are two really important questions that we have to answer as believers. That is, who is Jesus Christ? And if you've answered the question, He is Lord, He is Savior, He is Redeemer. And and, and, and I trust all of you have done that if you've not for this today. But uh, but if you've answered that question, the second question is then, who are you in Him? And the answer here that Peter writes is, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God. And we're going to break that down here in just a little bit. But let me tell you, we're going to spend a lot of time here in the month of March going over who we are and who, what is our identity in Christ. Who are we as an, as an identity of people? Because it determines how you act and what you do is, is who you think you are. Who you are in the truth. Right? Just like the stories that we talk about that we love to tell and love to hear about. You act like who you think you are. And I tell you, before we get too much further, I want to make sure that you know this. You need to be in the scriptures because this is where you find where who you are in Christ. This is where you find your identity in Him. This yeah. is where you find those great, these great phrases and these great teachings about who we are in Jesus Christ. And you're not going to find it apart from here unless you're just talking to the believer. You're not going to find this on TV. You're not going to find this in commercials. You're not going to find this at your job unless you're talking to somebody else who's a believer. You must be in the scriptures to know who you are in Jesus Christ. It is absent completely in our culture, and you have to be in here to know it. Are you with me? You must study this, or you you do not know who you are, and so you will not know how to act. You will not know what to do. You will not know what your part is, what you're supposed to be doing in this walk, and you're going to act and walk like everyone else. That's right. Listen, here's the problem with Christians in my mind, is we act like very common, ordinary people. And in truth, we are. But God has done something extraordinary in us. Amen. Amen. And if you're not reading it, you're not going to believe it. If you don't hear it here, you're not going to understand it. If you don't, if you don't read it, you're not going to believe it and understand it. And, and you're not going to do the things He's telling us to do in His Word. All right. You have to know your identity. You got to know who you are to know what you're supposed to do. Too many times in Christianity, we focus, you know, we bypass the part that's identity and who we are, and we just go to, well, this is how I'm supposed to act. Well, if you don't, if you don't really understand who you are, you don't know how you're supposed to act. Okay, we're going to get all that I promise. Okay. But anyway, royal priesthood. Here's where we're going to start. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, you are living stones, like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then he says in verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Um, let me tell you, all of these phrases that Paul's using, or sorry, Peter's using this morning, these were not some words that he just invented. These came from somewhere. Where were they? Chosen people. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, Isaiah talked about this. Who is he talking about? The people of Israel, right? The Israelites, right? He was talking about Israel. And, and Peter's using these words on purpose. Um, we're going to get into that here. But anyway, follow along with me. Um, this was said of the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. It says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
these are the words you're going to speak to the Israelites, and then God will never speak. But anyway, he's telling them that the nation of Israel, the entire nation, was supposed to be a kingdom of priests. Well, how is that? Well, they were supposed to demonstrate for the whole rest of the world how it is to be a people of God. They were supposed to bring all the rest of the earth to, to know God. That was who they were supposed to do, what they were supposed to do. Well, they were unable to do that. And so God sent what would be the true Israel, sent Jesus Christ, and he would be the one who would be a priest. And then he would call and he would say, you now are a royal priesthood. Have you thought yourself in terms of a priest? I don't know about you, but I, you know, when I read verses like this, I am just chomping at the bit to go buy one of those white collar shirts, you know, with a little. Not good. Um, uh, you know, to think of yourself as a priest, and I know, you know, we're, we're, we're good uh, evangelicals, and so if that's the way that, that they do in other churches, we don't want to be part of that, right? We throw the baby on the backboard. But I'm telling you this morning, that is to our error, that is our mistake, we are priests. That's right. And I wouldn't say that except that it says it here, and so it's true. It doesn't matter what I say, right? It only matters what I read here. Uh, it is true that you are a priest if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the aspects of your identity, of who you really are in Jesus Christ, is you are a priest. It's weird for us to think of those terms, especially as you know, good Baptists, because we don't, we don't hang around with the priest much. You, know, you don't call me priest or father or anything like that, but we are all priests. One of the reasons why we believe in what we, we believe in what the priesthood of the believer, yes, yes, the priesthood of the believer. That means that I can go to God myself because Jesus Christ has torn the separation, the barrier, the curtain that was between me and God uh, by His body. He's torn that 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 uh, that separation between us and the Holy of Holies. So I can go right in. Is this familiar to you? Yes, you've heard this. The priesthood of the believer. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. That's good. All right. But anyway, let's spend a little time here on this. Here's the deal. The, Israel, the Israelites were called a, a kingdom, a nation of priests. That's right. What are you supposed to do as a priest? What were they supposed to be doing? It's maybe more important than what I'm trying to ask is, what are we supposed to be doing if we're priests? If we really are a royal priesthood, if we really are a royal priesthood, what are we supposed to be doing? Uh, I've got a list of things here for you. Uh, if this is true as Christians, as it says here in Peter, as Peter says, then we're supposed to, the first one is, reflect the holiness of God. Right? Reflect the holiness of God. Just a page over in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Priests are supposed to be separate, set apart, holy people, reflecting the holiness of their God. Right? Why do we want to be holy? Because the God that we worship is holy. And that's what a priest does. They want to be set apart. They want to be different and distinct from the rest of the people around them. They're different people. Peculiar people, even, you might say, because they want to be holy. The second thing is, is that as priests, we want to offer sacrifices. You remember in the Old Testament, there was one of the jobs of the priests, one of the jobs of the Levites, is they would come and they would bring all kinds of sacrifices. Uh, and the one that we want to talk about here and now is spiritual sacrifice. And there are a bunch of different sacrifices that the New Testament talks about that we do as believers. The first one is, we're supposed to sacrifice our bodies, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, In view of God's mercy, offer your, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It is an act of sacrifice. It is an act of worship when we, when we live 
holy lives. When we offer our bodies to God as living sacrifices, basically saying, all that I am, I do for you. Everything I do, I serve you. And I'm offering all of me to, to serve you. That is the, one of the spiritual sacrifices that we make as priests. Second thing is, the second sacrifice that we might talk about is, and we can offer spiritual sacrifices, we can offer sacrifice of money or material goods. That's the next point. We can offer sacrifices of money or material goods. Philippians 4.18 says, The gifts you sent are fragrant offering and acceptable sacrificing, sacrifice and pleasing to God. So money and material goods are called sacrifice in the New Testament. The next thing is sacrifice of praise to God. Hebrews 13.15 says, Continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise through the lips that confess his name. Also called a sacrifice. The praise to God. The last one there in the blank is sacrifices of just doing good. Hebrews 16, right after Hebrews 13 and 15, Hebrews 13 16 says, Do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Alright? So here we go. We as priests are, are supposed to act like priests. We're supposed to, we're supposed to reflect the holiness of God. We're supposed to offer spiritual sacrifices. And then the third of the major blanks there is we're supposed to intercede for people on behalf of God. I'm sorry, for people before God. We're supposed to intercede for people before God. James 5.16 Confess your sins and pray for each other that you might be healed. The prayer of the righteous man is powerful and we talked about that for this minute. As priests, we're supposed to intercede for other people. Let me remind you of what happened there at Calvary, as, as, as we read here in Matthew. And, um, whenever Jesus was crucified and he yelled out, It's finished, something happened there at the temple. What was it? The curtain was torn up from top to bottom. The separation that had been there between the priests. And the Holy of Holies was taken away. It was torn apart. Okay? This was a symbol, a signal maybe, that we now have open access to God. That no one stands between us and Him. That with Jesus Christ as our intercessor, that He stands there with us. But it, and, and, and truly in the scripture, Jesus is our, as our intercessor. But we have direct access to God by, by what Jesus Christ has done. So what does this mean? Well, it means that we have an opportunity to, to sacrifice to him and to pray to him personally that we didn't have before. In fact, no one had had before Jesus Christ. Okay, now, this is, I know, you know, we're 2,000 years on this side of, of Calvary, but I want you to realize what this means. That means you have special access to the King of Glory, the creator of the universe, the God who imagined creating and redeeming you. You have access to his throne. It's it's really mind-boggling, isn't it? When you think about what that means. I'm just a common, ordinary guy, sinful as the next guy, right? And I, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, have been cleansed, and now I have open access to the King of the Universe, the King of Glory. One of my favorite passages, actually. Who is the King of Glory? The Lord, God he is the King of Glory, the Lord God Almighty. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, and we have open access to him. Let me tell you what this means in a couple ways. 
the first thing is, is that it's not just for our benefit. It's not just for our benefit that we have open access to God. True? That means for the people around you, this one of your friends and your family that you came to church with, we're supposed to be interceding for them on their behalf. True? And, and let me just ask you just very pointedly this morning. How much time do you spend praying for your fellow believers, with your with your with your roommates, for your husband, for your wife, for the people who are here in church together? I tell you one of the things that uh, Brendan knows our janitor here, and oftentimes, usually, I'll come up and help her clean. And one of the things that I love to do, and I've just had the practice of it, and I'm not trying to make much of myself here. I'm just trying to tell you. Well, here you go. I don't do this often enough, but when I vacuum, I remember this. As I go through the rooms in the church vacuuming, I remember I pray for the kids as I'm in the room. Lord, you know, kids when they're very young, they start to really they, they love to compare and contrast size, you know. And so that's one of the things that you can teach young children is is the enormity of God and how great and glorious and majestic He is. You know, one of the keys to really teaching children at that age because you know kids start at that age start going, my dad could beat up your dad, or you know, my dad's you know so strong, and you know they, they have those kinds of ideas about who's biggest and, and all that. And that's a really good time to, to, to be teaching about the enormity and the majesty of God. But anyway, so, so you know, pray for that for those young kids, and then pray for that, for, you know, pray for the older kids, and that their faith would become start to become very real to them. And I pray, you know, as, for our youth, as we as our backers are praying, Lord, as they face peer pressures, I pray that, that the things that they learn, that they hold true to, and their faith would be more than just some intellectual thing, but the things that they put into practice. And, and I'm in here, and, and you guys are all creatures of habit, you usually sit in the same places, right? Uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of sad as if not. But anyway, but as I'm back in here, I, I can imagine where you all are. I can pray for you even by name, you know, often as I'm as I'm going through here. But uh I don't pray for you often enough. And, and so I'm stepping on my own here. We have the ability to intercede at the throne of the king for each other. It's something we've got to be doing for each other. Because it's our only hope where any of us gonna make it, right? Uh, is that uh, is, is the mercy of God that we need to be praying for each other. Here's the other thing. You have friends who don't have that access. You have friends who don't have that ability. They don't get to march right into the throne room of God because the blood of Jesus Christ has not covered them because they've not accepted him as a sacrifice for their sins. We need to be praying for those people who don't have that same access to have. We are a royal priesthood, and they've not come there yet. I want to make sure if Tim keeps up this morning we're talking about it. That doesn't mean we need to get all haughty or, or really, you know, pharisaic minded about how great we are. Listen, we're as pathetic as the next person, true? The truth is God has chosen to put his mercy on you. And there, you know, we all need to have a mindset there, but by the grace of God, go on. Right? I, I could be as, as, uh, as, as twisted a sinner as any, right? And, uh, and, and the worst of one sinner is right? what Paul would say. But anyway, we need to be interceding for people to listen. We need to be interceding for each other, and really need to be interceding for people who don't have their privilege. Not everyone needs to go before you. Yeah. But you, and you and I need to be interceding on the back. Lord, call them, coax them, draw them to yourself. Call them to be able to accept your sacrifice and your son, Jesus Christ. Forgive their sins. We need to be in, we've got to be interested in people like that. The last thing here, uh, as, uh, as priests, is we, are, we represent God before people. We are God's representation. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, We are Christ's ambassadors. We're like his, we're like the people that he sent into another country and said, You represent me there. You, you represent who I am, and we are his representatives before uh, uh, a watching uh, world. We are his representative. 
And of course, we want to rep God well. Amen. We want to represent Him well as His people, as His priests, as His royal, uh, royal priests. All right. Uh, we're going to blast through the rest of this really quickly because we're going to spend a little bit more time on all of this. But I want to, I want to make sure that you understand this. You are called a priest here in First Peter, which means that you have a place that not everyone has. And again, not that we should get all high and mighty about it and think we're all better than you know those lousy sinners. Um, we're not, but the truth is that we've been given a place that other people don't get. And listen, I'm telling you that this morning because it's your identity. That's who you are in truth. It's who you are in the scriptures. It's who you are in truth. And so that identity, knowing your true identity, should direct your behavior. Right? What are you going to do as a result of this? I, I need to pray for people, but I'm not praying. I need to intercede for people who don't have the privilege that I have before the throne of God. I need to intercede more for, for my family and, and fellow believers here in Calvary and other places that God would just continue to work in their lives and make himself more real to them, that they would walk in greater discipline and obedience to the Lord. I need to make sure I represent him well to the world. I need to make sure that, that uh, I reflect his holiness and his purity. Because what he is, I attain to be. I want to offer sacrifices of his own. I want to give my money. I want to give it joyfully. I want to give it uh, like it's a sacrifice, like it's something that's pleasing to him. So he will take what little I have, the Lord, you just make something glorious with it. And you're a priest. You're a priest. Because of what who you are in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thought. But when you wake up tomorrow morning, I want you to be thinking. I'm a priest to the king. I, I, I serve him. I, I, I represent him. And I, I want to honor him with my life. You're a priest. We're just going to cover these next few really quickly. Not only are we a royal priesthood, but he says we're a chosen people. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15, this was said of the Israelites in the Testament. In, in Deuteronomy 10, 15, it says, Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Now it is true of Christian believers. This one says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The important thing is there, he chose us. He chose us. In fact, this says that he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Pretty amazing stuff. Okay, we're going we're to talk about that in another, another week. But, uh, today we're going to press on. A holy nation. This was also said about the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, um, which we quoted above there, which says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now in Romans chapter 9, verse 25 and 26, uh, Paul's using quoting some phrases from Hosea. It says, as it says, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. You've got to read that in Hosea sometimes. It's fascinating what, what Paul's claiming here, but let me just give you the skinny here. This, this phrase, when Paul's quoting Hosea, he's actually quoting what God is promising to do with the children of Israel, with the Israelites. He's saying, one day, you know, at some point, you're not going to be my people, but one day I'm going to restore you, and you're going to be my people. Paul then applies that, and he says, you Gentiles, 
who had nothing to do with God's people, right? All of our forefathers were what? Pagan worshippers, right? We had no part in God's kingdom. We had no part in His choosing. We weren't His people back 2,000 years ago before the time of Christ. But something happened when He sent Jesus Christ and He took the mercy that He poured out for the Israelites first and He included us also. Thank God. Amen. That's really good, isn't it? Yes, this is really good news for us, right? For us uh, Gentile folk, this is really good news that God has decided to pour out His mercy not just to the Israelites, but on us also. That's really, really good news. But anyway, Paul finds it to Gentile believers, uh, saying that basically we get the, the uh, we get to be loved by God even though we were not part of His original people. Uh, anyway, just a beautiful thing. The last thing is, is it says that we are a people belonging to God. We were not the people of God that time belonged to the Israelites, but now we are recipients of God's, God's mercy. That term there, that phrase means that literally we are God's possession. And that term means, means really specifically that it's something that you own by purchasing it, right? He's purchased us, right? By the great cost of his son, the broken body and the still of his son, Jesus Christ. And now he owns or possesses us, and we belong to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. And it ends with this in uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Or verse 10, I should say. Um, I'm sorry, it is in verse 9. But you are chosen for one priesthood, a holy nation, and a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous. It's an amazing thing. And listen, let me tell you, we act very ordinary, and we really are. We're, we're very ordinary, we're very common, but, but, but in, in, in a very real aspect about who we are in Jesus Christ, He has done something extraordinary on our behalf. He has done something extraordinary in us. And so in that regards, we really are supposed to act like no one else. We're supposed to act like a distinct, different people. We're supposed to be a people who represent God, who honor Him with our lives, and intercede for other people as priests, as His servants. Amen? Yeah. yeah. That's who He's called us. It's not because I was worthy, it's not because you're worthy, but it's who He's made us. We are chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are a people belonging to God and a holy nation. That's who you and I are in Jesus Christ. That is your identity. And when you wake up tomorrow, my hope is, and for the rest of this week, my hope is that you'll wake up and remember, I'm a priest according to who I am in Jesus Christ. That is my true identity. And I have a place and privilege before God that other people don't get. And I don't make the most of it every day. Amen? Amen. Alright. Let's pray together. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, uh, what, what, what can we say it's not by our own good or because we had just such great character that you chose us. But Lord, you did choose us. Uh, just out of your will, out of your good pleasure. And not only that did you choose us, but by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, you've made us a distinctly different people. Paul would say in another place, he would say that we are a new creation if we are in Christ Jesus. Meaning that we are, we're a completely different creature, not just that we had to, not just to wipe the slate clean, but we're, we're a new being, a new creature, a new creation. So, Father, help us to grasp our identity in you. Help us know what our true identity is in Jesus Christ. Help us to wake up tomorrow and realize and remember 
We are priests in your kingdom. We are priests in your temple, serving you and honoring you in our lives, interceding on behalf of each other and interceding on behalf of the lost world. Because we've been given the privilege to be able to enter the Holy of Holies where no one can go before. We've been given that place and we've been given that privilege. So the Lord, help us be your priests. Help us to take advantage of what you've given us. Help us to, to, to live, to attain what's already been done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord God, though we're very, very ordinary people, help us to live very extraordinary lives when we know and live our identity in you. We ask this in the great name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Lord bless you.